You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey everyone, Tim Robertson here, tech fan number 143 with David Cohen. Um, maybe. <laughs> I say maybe because uh, David and I can't get together this week to record a show together. So we're ostensibly recording our own segments and uh, he'll send me his and I'll put the show together. And I'll put his at the uh, after my segment, after the commercial break. But that's uh, dependent upon the, you know that he actually does it and he's got a, a medical thing in the family right now. So there's a good chance that he might not be able to do that. And family comes first always. And we probably could have done it Saturday morning, but I don't know if my wife wanted to take uh, our younger children out because my youngest son has really bad ear infections in both ears. In fact, in one of his ears, he has a burst eardrum, and the doctor couldn't see enough in the other ear to find out if he's got a burst eardrum there as well. So I don't know if she's going to want to take them out. And quite frankly, I'm not sure if I want her to uh, to take them out when he's going through that. So David and I are doing our own segments. I have no idea what David's segment's going to be about, and nor does he know what my segment's going to be about. So I look forward to hearing it back myself. So I like uh, history, obviously. We've talked about history and stuff like that in the past. And I started thinking what would be kind of fun to talk about uh, from a history perspective on TechVan that we haven't discussed in the past. And uh, I don't remember how I came across this, but... Some blog post, maybe, or somebody on Facebook or Twitter posted this question, and it got me thinking, and I had to find out the answer, because this was a really big story, um, no, eight, seven, six years ago, and most of you listening are going to remember this, and I, I would bet you most of you don't know, you know, the whole story, and I'm not going to go through the whole story of this, I'm just going to talk about it a little bit. But you guys remember the $100 laptop? Back in 2005, 2006, it made all the news. All the tech websites out there were talking about it. Uh, I remember talking about it on the old MyMac podcast back in the day. You remember it? The, some of the concept pictures originally, it was like this green laptop. Uh, pretty small. Uh, it was the target price was going to be a hundred dollars, and it was really for developing nations. It had like a hand crank on it, so you could charge it that way. Uh, it, it had some pretty innovative ideas. So I was kind of curious, did, whatever happened to that? Uh, it was in the news quite a bit at first, but like all things, it kind of faded away, and people forgot about it. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember that Negroponte guy was in charge and he had some pretty innovative ideas. I do remember at one time they said they were going to offer it with Windows XP. And at that point, Windows XP was about to be discontinued by Microsoft. And Microsoft was not going to give it away for free, but they were going to offer uh, Windows XP for that $100 laptop for 3 bucks, Which actually I thought was kind of... Uh, Generous and not generous at the same time. Generous would have been, sure, you can have Windows XP on here, no problem. Because if they're selling these things for 100 bucks to developing nations, then you have a whole new group of people developing software for those devices, and the end users themselves are going to grow up in a Windows world. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me if I'm Microsoft, and it's a product that I'm not really selling at this point anyways at least not in large numbers. You know, they were moving to Vista and then uh, 
<laughs> Anyways, um, so I, I did a little bit of research, and it turned out they actually did build the machines, and the project is still going on, surprisingly. And so I pulled some numbers, and it only goes up through 2011. The first batch of these $100 laptops, the first batch was 100,000 of them in October of 2007 to Uruguay. 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 Oi, I can't talk today. Um, 15,000 went, <laughs> went to Alabama, developing nations, of course. 260,000 of them went to Peru. 50,000 went to Mexico. And then in parentheses it says Mexican businessman Carlos Slim. So I don't know if uh, Mr. Slim bought these laptops, 50,000 of them to give away to education or what. Uh, 167,000 of them in January 2008 to the G1 G1 2007 program. I don't know what that is. Another 200,000 in 2008 to Uruguay. I don't know why I can't say Uruguay. If I look at the word, I can't say it. I could say it unless I'm reading it. Peru got more. Ghana got some. Uh, Sierra Leone got some. Rwanda. uh, Argentina. Colombia in 2011. Altogether... 1.84 1.84 million of these $100 laptops were sold. Here's the thing, though. They were never $100. The That was the target price. I remember uh, Negroponte saying that that's the target, but they're probably going to be more expensive. Initially, he said they'd go up in price as time went on, um, but they never came in at 100 bucks. I remember a lot of people thinking that... Um, oh, wait a minute. Here it says... Uh, as of 2012, uh, OLPC, which is the, the charity organization that's kind of running this, reports that over 2.5 million laptops have shipped, uh, or about you know two weeks worth of iPhones, which is kind of sad. But I remember uh, reading online that they were actually selling for closer to $200. But I still thought the idea was a good one to provide technology to developing nations to help them to not just as charity, not just giving something away, but empowering them, specifically the school children, getting them this technology that's going to help them in the future. I can't tell you what technology has done for me, just computers alone. It changed my life. Now imagining being a child in a developing country where clean water is an issue, you know, um, where the only technology that seems to head their way is the trash of our old electronics that we sent to these places. This was something that could have really been a benefit. And while I applaud two and a half million of these being sold, even though not all of them went to developing nations, unless we count Alabama as a developing nation, it's not enough. Um, I would consider that a failure, to be honest. And that companies like Apple and Google I think should take up this baton, if you will, at this point and bring it to another level. I don't think that the future in a program like this is laptops. I honestly think it would probably be, wow, you hear all the birds? As soon as I say that, they quiet down a little bit. Birds right outside my window. I think it's uh, tablets. It's not only the future of computing, it's the now of computing. So get lap, get uh, tablets into their hands. Allow them to create content on those laptops. Uh, obviously, I don't think it would be iPads. Uh, I think it would have to be more of an open source so that as the children develop their skills with these devices, they can actually create content for the device itself, i.e. program, on the device itself. And uh, you can't do that on an iPad. You need something more open source like 
you know, a Linux-based solution or a uh, Android-based solution. Although I am a little tired of people saying that Android is open and it's not so open. Um, for those who keep, you know, saying that, do your homework a little bit before you keep wanting to say how open Google is with Android. Not so much. But I found it uh, interesting that this project that got so much attention, and not for just a small amount of time, we talked about this for probably two years, it kept making the rounds, only did two and a half million, which really isn't that many. It really isn't. And that I think that there's still a huge need for inexpensive technology for developing nations. And it's something that I would support. I bet most of you would support that as well. And yes, I understand people say, oh, we've got problems at home. Let's take care of our own first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we live in a global economy at this point. We live, you know, we have to bring the rest of the world up technology-wise and as a species help each other yeah i'm uh i'm full of it today aren't i hope david's segment is much better than mine so that i thought that was kind of interesting i'm going to do a little bit more research um i did see that the this group was also working on tablets now so i I don't know, though. I, I don't think that this is the right organization to lead it going forward. I think they need some really technology heavyweights to take the lead on this. And personally, I think if you could put some of the animosity and competitiveness aside, Apple, Google, and Microsoft should be the three companies really leading this and really coming up with a solution that would work. Uh, inexpensive, educational-based technology not just for the, the the third world developing nations, but for any educational facility that could really take advantage of those. That would be a great thing. Whether they could put that competitive nature aside and their quest to make every single dollar they possibly can, I don't know. But those are the three companies that could really make a huge difference. I would throw Intel in there as well. Those four companies. Um, whether it happens or not, I don't know. But I think it would be cool if it, if it did, don't you? I saw this, uh, what do you call it? It's a picture with uh, some history on it. I, there's a term for this, but I'm just drawing a blank right now. But this is council prices adjusted for inflation. So it goes back to the Atari 2600. I know we've talked about video games quite a bit recently, but I thought this was kind of interesting how much these video game consoles were when they were brand new and how much they would cost if you adjusted the price for inflation. And uh, one of the things that I kind of find interesting is that Starting at uh, the Xbox, I'm sorry, starting at the PlayStation 3, there was a big increase in the cost of gaming consoles. Uh, but there were some older ones that were pretty expensive as well. But starting at the uh, Atari 2600 was released in 1977, the original price, $200. Today, that would be $796. Could you imagine an $800 Atari 2600? Boy, uh, 1979, the Intellivision, $300. Today, that would be $935. One of my favorites, 1982, the ColecoVision, the original price was $175, which I thought it was more than that, to be honest. I, I wanted a, a ColecoVision so bad. The version of Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision was so superior to the one on the Atari 2600, and I really wanted to play it. Um, but today, that would be $410. 1986, the Master System, original price, 200 bucks. Today, $412. Uh, here's one everyone remembers. The 1986, uh, the 1986, the NES, the original price, 200 bucks. Today, 412 bucks. 89, 
the Genesis from Sega, $190 original price. Today, three forty-six. Nineteen eighty-nine TurboGrafx sixteen. I kind of wanted one of those, but I, I just seemed like there was never a lot of good games for it. Uh, today would be three hundred sixty-five dollars. Here's one that'll jump out at you. Nineteen ninety, the Neo Geo. I wanted a Neo Geo. I remember going to the store and looking for one, and I actually remember this price: six hundred and fifty bucks. Most places actually had it for five ninety-nine. Today, that would be 1,125 smackaroos. That's a lot. These are obviously American dollars. 1991, the Super NES, $200. Today, 332. The 3DO in 93, uh, original price was $700. Today, that would be $1,095. The Atari Jaguar in 93, $250. Today would be $391. Now we get into kind of the modern times. 1995, the PlayStation, the original PlayStation was $300. Actually, it was $299. Uh, I remember that because, and the only reason I really remember that is that the, the Saturn was already out, Sega Saturn. And that was supposedly going to be the killer system that year. And, uh, Sony just came out and, and killed them on price. Today it would be four hundred forty-six dollars. Sega Saturn was originally four hundred dollars. Today it'd be five ninety-five. The Nintendo sixty-four was two hundred bucks. You know, I'm seeing a, a, a really good pattern here. Eighty-six NES, ninety-one SNES, and then uh, ninety-six Nintendo sixty-four. So it didn't take them. It's Roughly every five years, Nintendo comes out with a brand new console, and uh, it's two hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and and sixty four, two hundred dollars. Today would be two eighty nine. Uh, Ninety nine Dreamcast was two hundred dollars. That'd be two seventy two. Two thousand. The PlayStation Two was three hundred dollars. Would be three ninety five now. So the cost of inflation really is uh, leveled out. It's not as great once you hit to the two thousand mark. The GameCube, Nintendo GameCube, 2001. Oh, look at that. Five years, six years after the N64. It was $200. The uh, Xbox in 2001 was $300. It'd be $389 now. The Xbox 360, which is just four years later, started at $300 as well, and that would be $348 today, although (laughs) that's the original price, but I can get... A much better Xbox 360 today for like 125, 150. The PlayStation 3 in 2006 was 500. It would be 567 today. That was that was a pretty expensive console for modern times. And uh, the PlayStation 4, which was just released, is 400. So it's 100 cheaper than its 2006 uh, predecessor. Whereas the Xbox One is 500 bucks. That's $200 more than Microsoft has ever changed or charged for a console. The Wii was originally $250 in 2006, and the Wii U was $300 in 2012. So every five to six years, there's a new console from Nintendo, which means that in 2017, they'll replace the Wii U with something else. If they wait that long, I don't know. I kind of find it interesting to look at the price points for these video game systems. And a lot of people think video games are for kids. There's hardly anything on on here for a brand new system that started for less than $200. That's that's a lot of money. I don't, I don't care if you're a developing nation or, you know, the height of uh, commerce here in the United States. That's a lot of money, 200 bucks. And five hundred dollars. Wow, half a grand for either uh, an Xbox One. Uh, four hundred bucks for a PlayStation Four. If you want the two new game consoles out there, the the two newest ones, anyways, that's nine hundred dollars, and that's not any games either. That's the ability to play the new games, and that's probably why I don't have an Xbox One or a PlayStation Four yet. But I, I found that this. Uh, This is a pretty cool graphic showing all these old video game systems and the original price and the release date. And 
every single one of these I look at, I've got most of these consoles at this point. Um, picked a lot of the old ones up on eBay years ago for next to nothing. Because I refused to pay a lot of money for an old game console. It just mm, didn't seem smart to me. But uh, I still need to get a TurboGrafx-16. I bet I could pick one up for less than 50 bucks with games. But it seems to me that uh, as I look at these, it, it's never really been about kids, has it? It's the... Uh, they're very expensive toys. And it, it kind of reminds me of how far we've come. But in some respects, when you kind of look at all the different consoles and what they looked like, they all kind of had some similarities. They were, they were rectangular in size. And they're just little boxes. And, you know, you would think that they would have changed much more radically than they have over the years. But really, when you look at them collectively, they really haven't. I mean, Nintendo's the one that's only kind of done things differently. Like the Wii, the way it sits up. Um, the GameCube was a little bit different. But, you know, the Atari 2600 was a little bit different. But starting with the Intellivision, they all were kind of just this little rectangular box. You either, no, I'm looking, actually it looks like almost all of them, you put the cartridge in the top. Um, but really not, not a whole lot of changes. You know, they have drawers where they have slots to put the CDs, DVDs in over time. But I would think that somebody would do something a little bit different at this point. But it's still just a little box. And a uh, little controller, it, for all intents and purposes, it, it's very similar to what we started with in 77. I find that pretty interesting. Anyways, let's get to David's segment. Um, hopefully it's much better than mine. I didn't have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, I've been, uh, let's just say, uh, predispo predisposed... Um, with some work things, and uh, weather hasn't been agreeable. We got more snow early this December than I've ever, than I can remember for years and years. It's it's been pretty rough. Uh, I was sick for two and a half, three days last week, and snowbound a couple days this week. So that always pushes you know work stuff farther back in the week, but you still have to do it. So you just have to do more in a shorter amount of time. That's never fun. And holidays, so a lot of uh, last-minute shopping going on, uh, trying to firm up plans for the holidays, where we're going, and, and what time we have to be at certain places. And it's very hectic. But I like the calm right after Christmas. Like, you know, um, December 25th, that night, once the kids are in bed, and they're still wrapping paper on the floor, and brand new toys scattered throughout the living room and going into the dining room and some of the toys not even open yet and the kids are just exhausted and they're just crashed out from a sugar high and it's just uh, my wife and I sitting on the couch and we can just go <laughs> I like that that's a that's a fun time I like the, the at ease of it's over and we don't have to do it for another year. Um, but don't get me wrong, I, I love the holidays. I really do. Um, I love it because of the kids. That's that's what makes the holidays the holidays to me. If it was if I just lived by myself, I really wouldn't care about the holidays much. I'm like, eh, whatever. But And I don't even care what I get for Christmas. And most parents don't. It's about what the kids get. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, less than a week away. So, um, happy holidays if you celebrate this holiday, um, regardless of whether you do or, or you don't. Um, as I always do, I wish all of you guys the best out there. And when I say guys, I don't mean just men. When I say guys is a general term. I wish everybody health, happiness, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Simply go to techfanpodcast.com and you can leave a message right there on the uh, website or you can send us an email, tim at techfanpodcast.com or david at techfanpodcast.com. And I can be found on Twitter at MyMac. Thanks. I'll see you guys in a week.
Are you a movie fan, a film fan? Well, check out the International Film Club podcast right here on the Spotlight Network. Tim Chatton and Alex Barker dive into a different movie every time, ranging from classics to some of the newer stuff and sometimes some obscure stuff that you actually might enjoy. So check out the International Film Club podcast right here on the Spotlight Network. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the David Cohen segment of Tech Fan number 143. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. Uh, I came back from Hong Kong. Obviously, last time I spoke to you, I was there. Um, that was fine. The work in Hong Kong was horrible. Uh, really, really horrible. It's nice being in Hong Kong. It's a great place, but uh, the people I was working with, well, did not go well. Let us say that. And uh, there's a good chance I might have to go out there again in the new year. But I'm glad to be home. Um, I was away for a couple of weeks, so it was good to get back. It was a hard couple of weeks as well, because I worked pretty much both weekends straight through as well so it's good to be back while i was there my vision improved which was interesting unfortunately since i've come back to the uk it's gotten worse again and uh, i found out today why uh, the doctors think that is uh, i had a blood test before i went away and i got a letter while i was away saying come in and talk about this so i, I went and did and um well, what's happened is my diabetes has gone way, way out of control. My blood sugar has effectively doubled. My average blood sugar has doubled, which um, apparently doesn't happen very often. I've not really done anything differently. It's not like I've gone on a huge uh, M&M's jag or anything like that. It just kind of has, and I um, can only think it's stress-related or something like that. Uh, the doctor I saw today said that pretty much all the symptoms I've been having you know, thirst, I've had a bit of unexpected weight loss, um, and also the blurred vision he would put down to the sudden change, massive change in my diabetic blood sugar. So new tablets for that, and um, he actually said that he thought my vision would return to normal once I got my sugar under control, which um, in some respects is great. Obviously, you know, that's kind of what I wanted, but before I went to Hong Kong... I shelled out a quite large sum on a pair of glasses, so um, from that respect, uh, not so great, really. But uh, we are where we are, as uh, as we like to say, so um, that's kind of an update on where I am with my health. Uh, and I do hope, actually, that I do get back to normal and not need the glasses anymore. The glasses are great in that I can see really well with them on. But the problem is that's over distances. I find if I hold my uh, iPhone in front of my face, then I can't read it. So I'm constantly taking the things on and off, which gets old really quickly. So uh, I'll be glad to see some changes if changes do occur in, in that respect anyway. So I'll keep you posted in the new year on that one. Now I was thinking, with the time of year that it is... Most of the guys and gals listening to this show, I would imagine, will be hoping for, or perhaps already planned for, getting uh, new technology for the holiday season, either buying for themselves or being bought for them. Sometimes under direction, sometimes not. And kind of got me thinking, really, uh, coupled with my own tech shopping while I was in Hong Kong, together with uh, some of the things I saw and heard, there's a thing about all this new stuff, particularly with the the pace of change that we're subject to nowadays, is um, it can bring out different behaviours in people. And sometimes I wonder the behaviour that you might perceive as being negative or antisocial or perhaps um, self-absorbed that people exhibit around their technology and their gadgets and the kind of their electronic side of life, the internet and all of that. If that behaviour is negative or can be viewed as negative, is that a result of the person using the technology or, you know, is that an, an innate thing that's inside the person themselves or, or is that something that the technology kind of brings about because of what it allows you to do? So it's kind of, you know, it's one of those nature or nurture questions, isn't it? Do, do people behave badly because of the things they have, or do the things they have um, bring, in, in, enhance that, that um, how am I trying to say it, in, enhance that, that um, behaviour in people? 
uh, let me give you a couple of examples and kind of um, tell you where I'm coming from on this and, and what brought it to mind might perhaps illustrate the point a little bit more. One of the things I was amused to note while I was in Hong Kong was the... I mean, you'd imagine Hong Kong was a very techie-type city and uh, pretty much everybody has a smartphone. Not just a phone, but a smartphone. I mean, literally... 90% of the people you see are carrying a smartphone. And you can see that smartphone. You can see what model it is. You can see what type it is because they're all carrying them right in front of their face as they're walking around. So much so that in the subway in Hong Kong, they have not only signs up, but also spoken vocal announcements playing pretty much all the time, reminding people to look where they're going and not stare at their phone, while, particularly while they're going up and down the escalators. This is apparently a real problem. Now, I've not encountered this before in any other place I've been to where people have to be reminded to look where they're going because instead of staring at their device. Uh, and I can't, you obviously become aware of that pretty quickly and then you notice that, in fact, everyone is staring at their devices wherever they go. Not just, you know, everyone's got their headphones in, which is, is something you've been common in other places for a very, very long time. But not only do they have their headphones in, but they're reading as they walk around. And um, they're looking down the phone, and they aren't looking where they're going. And they seem to be pretty skilled at it, to be honest. Didn't see an awful lot of collisions. But there were several times I'd be walking along, and I'd see somebody heading right towards me, and there was nowhere for me to go. And I was thinking, damn, they're going to walk right into me here. And they would kind of curve out the way for the very last minute. But it was it was very, very off-putting. In fact, there was one incident. I was walking with a colleague of mine uh, out to dinner one night. And we saw a guy walking down the street with a, a tablet. Um, a full 10-inch tablet. Running some sort of game on it. It kind of looked a bit like Diablo or some, something like that. One of those dungeon crawler type games where you're in the middle of the screen and you're smashing monsters and stuff all around you with a kind of a dual stick set up. And he was walking down the street playing this game. And this was not the sort of game that you would imagine you could get by with um, either having only partial concentration on because you're looking where you're going. Or alternatively, it's the sort of game where you could imagine you might literally walk into a tree because you were so intent on what was going on the screen and all the monster bashing and, and what have you. And uh, yeah, that was pretty that was pretty bizarre to us to see somebody walking around like that. In fact, let me say what what I really thought when I saw that because I had a kind of an emotional gut reaction to that when I first saw it, which I I tempered slightly with the knowledge that I was in a different country, in a different culture. And, uh, you know, perhaps that was more of a norm than, than I might expect, not having ever seen anything like that at home. But my initial reaction to it was, wow, that's really rude. Not rude because he was walking into anybody, because he wasn't at the time. But he could have done. He could quite easily have done. And I find it hard to believe that if the man was so intent on playing that game that he would stop playing when he got into a more crowded area so yeah I I thought it was rude I thought it demonstrated perhaps a a level of self-absorption and, and a lack of consideration for the people around him that that I found to be um, distasteful really um, not so much that I wanted to discuss it with him but you know that was my reaction now as I said you know, they, there could be an element, element of cultural diversity there that I'm missing, and perhaps that should temper my reaction to that. But then I go back to what I said about hearing and seeing the signs on the MTR, the uh, the metro, about uh, not staring at your device all the time. So that suggests to me that it, even there, it wasn't particularly a cultural norm that was welcomed. So, and that kind of just got me thinking, really, about just because you can do something with technology just because it enables something that doesn't mean you can do you should do everything that it enables you to do yeah it's wonderful that the power of a tablet means that you can play games that would run rings around an average arcade cabinet as you're walking down the street um that is a an amazing capability of these new devices but just because they can do that does it mean you should i suggest perhaps not um 
As another example, most cell phones now have a camera on. So that means you have the capability of sitting that cell phone up in a room and setting it recording, and then it will record all the video in video everything that happens in that room. It could be your living room, could be somebody's bedroom. Now, just because it has the capability of doing that, does that mean it's something you should do? No, absolutely not. That is an invasion of privacy. Something else that kind of struck me about that is uh, uh, there was a story recently about um, another one of these guys using Google Glass. Um, and for, for those of you who haven't heard of it, just in case, there are some in the audience who aren't familiar with Google Glass. So it's kind of a set of spectacle frames without the glass in. Um, and it has electronics in and it's a kind of a, a mini computer that uh, can project images into your eye uh, and can take voice commands but it also has a camera on it and a lot of people are very concerned that using Google Glass uh, and having it on all the time means that people could be surreptitiously taking photographs of everything around them and people find that a little bit creepy so the story goes that this guy went to a restaurant and apparently he'd worn his Google Glass uh, many times while he was in this restaurant. But this particular evening, um, somebody came over and, and told him the uh, restaurant policy uh, now was that Google Glass wasn't allowed to, uh, to be allowed. Um, and therefore they politely asked him if we wouldn't mind taking them off. And when he refused to, they said, well, here's the deal. We don't want it here, so either you take it off or I'm afraid you'll have to leave. So he left and then posted the huge rant-driven screed on his Facebook page about how terrible this was and how he had rights and how the menu encouraged people to take photos and tweet their food to promote the restaurant and how, how you know, how is that compatible with this supposed policy? And he'd been in there before with his glass many times and therefore, you know, he was calling on the restaurant owner to fire the manager concerned, which, you know, massive, massive overreaction. Uh, and again, you know, the thing about Google Glass, this is new technology, it's, uh, it's pushing the boundaries of how people use devices, and, you know, it's experimental. The people who have Google Glass now are, are have paid to be in a beta program. They paid thousand dollars to get their glass. Now I'm, I'm sure you know you paid a thousand dollars something. You want to use it as much as possible, but you've got to respect the rights and feelings of the people around you. And I'm I'm afraid in in my my respect in that respect, just in the same way that using a cell phone camera in a restaurant will probably be acceptable to take pictures of um, the food. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. And take pictures, maybe, of the people sat at the table with you. But if you started wandering around the place taking pictures of random strangers, then people would probably ask you to stop. And that's why they don't like Google Glass, because you might be doing that and they can't tell. So, um, you know, here's, here's the thing. Use of technology, ownership of a particular piece of technology, confers on you no rights whatsoever. You know, we have inalienable human rights we have the rights that are given to us by the laws of the land we happen to be residing in at the time and that's pretty much it everything else is not a right it's a privilege it's a permission a common permission of the society in which you happen to be standing and just in the same way that some societies don't accept certain types of dress uh, particularly of, of ladies though you know some more uh, less per permissive societies um, sorry, more permissive societies, particularly uh, you know Muslim countries and that sort of thing, don't like to see um, ladies with it with uh, exposed arms, maybe or exposed legs and shorts and that sort of thing. They prefer them to cover them up. Um, now, you can say, well, that's not fair on the ladies uh, concerned, and you but you'd be absolutely right compared to our standards. But that is the acceptable norm of that society. And uh, like it or not, if you're sat in that society, you really kind of have to comply um, and otherwise face consequences. You know, if you want to challenge those rights, if you if you feel that they're unfair or, or that sort of thing, then, the, you know, if you want to challenge those societal norms, then you've, you've got to be able to do that, I guess. But the point is, is that um, generally it would not be right to say that your right to 
display a bare arm or a bare leg would equate to the same way as your right to use a particular piece of technology, particularly something that's new and very much in the minority. Your society accepts these things over time as people use them. Um, the problem I have at the moment is that it seems to be that some people just don't want to, you know, kind of, they, they see it, the nature of the technology they use, the smartphone, the tablet, the, uh, you know, the connections, the internet, those sorts of things, social media, all of this stuff. Some people seem to use it in a way that kind of says, well, the normal rules of society, the normal rules of consideration of my fellow man don't apply to me in this regard in using that particular thing. You know, the ability to f to FaceTime my friends, is uh, to uh, post status messages to my friends, to send pictures to my friends and everything, uh, is overrides any normal society norms about um, acceptable behaviour. And th these things are very much, you know, they do change over time. The Victorian society of Britain from 150 years ago was very much um, less... Uh, was very much less uh, allowing of, of various things that now nowadays are perfectly fine. I mean, it's changed in my lifetime. Like this country, UK, that what's allowable and what's acceptable in terms of what people do as they walk, you know, through the streets and, and act in public and everything, has changed in my lifetime. You know, people are are much, you know, sadly are much less inclined to let their children play out now because they're worried about the dangers of traffic and the dangers of paedophiles and danger of abduction and all those sorts of things and, and so generally people don't let their kids out unsupervised anymore, that's a societal change and it's kind of come about not because anybody's imposed it, it's become come, come about by a group an, an, an unspoken group consensus I guess um, and the way people react to technology and the way technology is used is, is very much the same um, it does come about via a a kind of a group consensus but the thing is that there always seems to be quite a lot of people well, particularly when it comes to the use of technology it's a very personal thing where um, they want to push the edges of those societal norms or ignore them so you get the guys on the bus or on the train who rather than use headphones will um, just play out music from the speaker of their phone hold it up to their face which means everyone else gets to enjoy it as well which, uh, again, is the sort of thing when I see it happening. I, I think that's pretty rude. You're again, you're... These all, things all come down to imposing your lifestyle choices on other people, whether they like them or not. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, that is pretty rude. Um, when your choice of action is something that you know is going to antagonise a large number of people you encounter... Um, uh, or, or perhaps you would know if you thought about it, but in fact, a lot of people don't think about it. You know, so walking along with your cell phone in front of your face is another one where you're going to antagonise people. It suggests to people that your um, social media, whatever it is, your, your communications you're doing on your phone is more important than taking care to look where you're walking or bump into people or that sort of thing. Uh, look at the debate that's happened in the last week or so over... The potential for um, cell phone calls to be able to be made on aircraft. A lot of people have been very, very negative about that because they can't imagine the distress it would cause them to have somebody yapping on a cell phone, often quite loudly. The nature of cell phones is that people do talk loudly on them. There's apparently something in the way cell phones work that with a regular phone, with a, a, a wired phone, um, the way the the telephone technology works the two-wire telephone technology is that you can hear yourself in the earpiece as you talk whereas with a cell phone you can't uh, and that apparently encourages people because they can't hear themselves fed back through the earpiece they tend to speak up assuming that they need to speak more loudly for the other person to hear them which is why cell phone calls often tend to be conducted at higher volume than a regular telephone call but i digress um the prospect of the regulations being relaxed to allow cell phone calls like that to happen on aircraft filled many people with horror at the thought of being trapped in a steel tube 
for X number of hours as it speeds across the sky next to somebody who's conducting, you know, a whole load of their personal or business conversations next to you constantly. Yeah, that'd be annoying. And uh, it seems to me that, again, the public consensus is coming down that they don't really favour that. And the uh, airlines are now responding, saying, well, even if the rules are relaxed to allow it, we're not prepared to allow it on our, on our particular aircraft. So um, there you have it. There's another example where people recognise that there will be a certain group of people who don't care about the impact of their activities on others and regulations are then being adjusted to protect people from uh, such blowhards or bozos or whatever derogatory term you might want to throw at somebody like that. Now, of course, you know, the flip side is there will be people who say, well, hang on a minute, it'd be quite useful to be able to make the odd call on a plane. Um, that's going to be, there's going to be a bit of tension there, I'd imagine. Um, particularly for people who aren't serial telephone abusers and actually just want to make the occasional call. And then there'll be other people who chime in and saying, oh, hang on a minute, most uh, most aircraft carriers have had um, expensive, cell, uh, expensive uh, satellite phone services or radio phone services on their planes in seatbacks for many, many years. This is just a way of pushing people towards the expensive technology, which makes them a buck rather than... Uh, rather than allowing them to uh, to use their own phone. But let, let's think about that the other way around. Maybe one of the reasons those services are priced so expensively, you know the sort of thing I mean, it's the uh, handset that's in the seat back or the seat, or the, uh, the seat uh, arm rail beside you that when you can pull out, you can swipe a credit card in and then for a fairly extortionate fee, you can make a phone call. Perhaps those fees are extortionate to actually discourage they, their excessive use. Maybe if it was a penny a minute for those services, people would use them more and we'd have the same problem of people making calls ad nauseum to the uh, disgruntlement of their fellow passengers. So I, I don't know. I don't know what what you guys think. Uh, for me, the use of technology, you do have to consider um, the people around you in a public place. You do have to think about how it might impact them. You know, I wouldn't. You wouldn't take a one of these new drones with a camera on and then start uh, piloting it in front of people's windows and taking pictures inside their house. Most people would accept that that's, that would be a pretty ignorant thing to do. And yet the technology is capable of it. So you do have to apply some sort of social norm and some sort of level of, of manners, I think. Or if you want to put it in a more traditional British term. You know, just being polite to other people but in the way you use your services to interact with somebody else. I've tried that to do that very much. Occasionally, yes, you can, you can do things that are... Um, that are perhaps thoughtless and perhaps impinge on other people in public places. And if I ever became aware of doing that myself, then I would moderate what I was doing. I would change what I was doing to try and uh, not annoy somebody. As very often, people won't people won't um, say something to you. They'll just throw you a dirty look or something like that. But they don't want to interact and tell you not to do something. If I were to become aware of, of, of me doing something like that, perhaps making a loud call or... Um, you know, using a, a computer with which would perhaps had audio on it or a video or something like that, and there was, I didn't recognise it was disturbing somebody else, and became aware of that, then I would stop, or I would change, or I would lower the volume, or I would do something anyway to try and make it better for somebody else. You know, I had an instance of this the other day. Um, I was in the doctor's office waiting for an appointment with my daughter, and uh, she's four and a half, and so yeah, she gets bored pretty easily, and they had books and stuff there. And normally what she does, she'll go over and she'll grab a book and then she'll bring it back to me and I'll read her a story or something like that. But in this particular instance, she asked to use my iPhone. So I loaded up a educational game for her to play, something to do with the alphabet and phonics and that sort of thing. And then what I did is I set the volume pretty low so that it wasn't too disturbing. I don't, don't know about you, but I find that the iPhone 5, you crank it up quite away, it's pretty loud. So I turned it right down. It was only two or three dots in the uh, audio indicator. And I gave it to her, and she was playing away with it. 
Oh, well, in front on the row in front of me in the seating area, there was a there was an elderly couple, and they threw a couple of dirty looks her way. And why she was doing that, and um, you know, I turned it down another notch. I mean, I didn't want to turn it down so so far that she couldn't hear the game because the game was all about uh, spelling out and sounding out the words that she was trying to assemble on the screen. You know, so I re- I recognised that perhaps. They were being annoyed by it. Um, now, actually, in, in in that particular circumstance, I thought that any use of the phone, even at a louder volume, would have been less distracting to elderly people than perhaps having a four and a half year old running around the place. Um, you know, kids that age are exuberant. They tend to talk at the top of their voices. And, you know, if you read them a story, they'll want to interject. They'll want to point things out. And they can, they can be quite loud about that. So I actually thought that uh, the overall level of noise would be lower with the phone. But it was a case of recognising that they found it uncomfortable and when the, within the bounds of being reasonable, um, I tried to accommodate that, turned it down a little bit more. As it happens, they still threw more dirty looks, at which point I thought, well, there's not really much else I can do. Um, I'm at the point now where if I take the phone off the child, uh, there will be a tantrum, which will be far more annoying than the uh, noise of the phone continuing. And I thought... You know, come on, hey guys. I know that perhaps uh, you know you grew up in a in a situation where children should be seen, not heard. But again, that's not the way children, non-Victorian children, are anyway. So, what what what's the point I'm trying to come to with this? Really, is is to say, you know, just as a something to our listeners. Have you get new technology or use your existing technology over the holiday period? Just make sure that you're um, keeping him within the bounds of taste, decency, and uh, uh, you know consideration for your fellow man. It, it is very much the season where we are meant to be think about other people as much as ourselves. So let's counteract the consumerization and the all kind of Western values of more stuff with. Uh, a bit of consideration for our friends, family, and uh, particularly people we don't know as we use our new toys going forward into the new year. What do you think? Am I overreacting? Am I overthinking this? Or should we just let people do whatever they want? You know, it's a free country. I don't know. If you've got any thoughts, let us know. Yet to get on to me at the usual place, you can find me on Twitter, David at David B. Cohen. Um, you can email me via the uh, TechFan website, techfanpodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Um, and finally, have a safe and happy holidays. I look forward to speaking to you in the new year. Bye.